This is the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. Andy Payton is the lead pastor at Methodist Temple United Methodist Church in Evansville, Indiana. Randy Moore is associate pastor at Methodist Temple. Their goal is to see Christ in everything and everyone. Hello, Methodist Temple. Uh, hello, Evansville. Uh, hello, United States. Hello, the globe. Right on the on the world on the world wide web. Hello, Don't I'm get too ahead of yourself there, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Pastor Randy Moore with Pastor Andy Payton, and this is our first attempt uh, at a podcast, and it will be rudimentary, but that's okay. We just want to get started. So, uh, Andy, say hello. Hello, Methodist Temple, and. Hello, Evansville, and hello, the entire globe, apparently. Right. It's accessible everywhere. Okay, so uh, let's talk a little bit first, Andy, about why we even want to do a a podcast. I mean, why take time out uh, to do this when we have so much other stuff going on? Well, the idea of the podcast is essentially to reflect on the sermon from the previous Sunday and one of the things that you would learn if you were a preacher, and Randy, I know you're a preacher, um, is that you preach a sermon, and then after you're done, you think, well, I should have said this, or I should have said that. And it, it's just a nice reminder that God uh, continues to speak through the process of preaching, but also through the interaction of community and conversation with one another. Yeah, that's been my experience, and I've been teaching through the lectionary with an adult Sunday school class, and what we do is, that's exactly what we do. Uh, Our lesson for the week is the lectionary lesson, and a lot of times that's been the the topic of the sermon, not always, but and if we can find out what the topic of the sermon is, if it's not from the lectionary, then we still study that. And so our group uh, prepares in that way by reading those lessons in advance. Most people who come to church, they haven't seen the lesson yet. And so that helps. That helps them, I think, get more out of the service and more out of the sermon. And then after the fact, they have a chance to process it again. So it just uh, it just hits home. It helps those sermons stick, or it helps however the spirit is moving uh, throughout the service. It just it just it just helps a lot. And so we're going to do some of that uh, through the podcast. And we're also going to do something different. You're going to do something different. You are going to be preaching for 25 weeks on the 25 articles of religion. I've heard of uh, three-part sermons, five-part sermons, six-part sermons. 25 may be a record. (laughs) It's certainly a record for me. Um, And the reason why I chose the articles of religion, really, it's something intuitively I've wanted to do for like, 10 or 11 years, I guess, going back to uh, something I read in a book about the sermons on John Wesley. And I always thought to myself, what would it be like to think about these articles through the modern lens? And what is it about these subjects that could teach us about our own spiritual formation today? Because let's be honest, the, the faith, our relationship with God is always evolving The subjects are typically the same that we care about, but our way of understanding them and applying them change with our own context. What are the articles of religion? I'm not asking you to list the 25, but what are they? Well, the 25 articles of religion um, were given to us as Methodists from John Wesley, and I believe it was like 1784 or 1780s, and uh, they were his revision of the 39 Articles of Religion of John Wesley's church, the Anglican Church. Um, John Wesley saw that things were changing in his context and time, and so he 
revised the Anglican Articles of Religion for the Methodist, and he basically sent over a couple of evangelists to America, and that became ultimately the United Methodist Church and other expressions of the Methodist Wesleyan faith. A lot of what he was about was this consistency in the message. In order to keep this movement together, you couldn't have people all over the place, right? And so uh, the conference, the conference mm-hmm. of pastors had, had that in mind, and he brought those pastors in, and they all got on the same page, and they preached from the same sermons, essentially, coming out of the Church of England and, and out of the Anglican Church because Wesley was having to recruit lay preachers into the movement. He wanted some control over the message. Am I correct? Yeah. Wesley could be a little bit intense in terms of the way he wanted to control the movement, the message. Um, What these articles are, though, are really kind of like guardrails. And there's going to be a little bit of uh, flexibility within them, but they're meant to be kind of like a parameter for which we seek to understand our relationship with God. Soft guardrails, maybe. Yeah, it, yeah, I think it would be fair to say um, it's an evolving tradition. I mean, he revised his articles of religion, Wesley himself did, and I, I think he would be open to the possibility that as things change, as times change, and our understanding of God even evolves a bit, um, we could revise our own. It makes sense. Yeah. Well, he revised them from 39 to 25, but it's my understanding that now it would take something special to change these. They're locked in. Right. Yeah. I, that's an interesting tidbit of history. Uh, Wesley revised him, revised his, handed them on to the Methodist. And then when the Methodists got going in the United States, we uh, constitutionally protected them. Um, so it's really hard to change them now. Um, from like 1808 on, which, in my humble opinion, I think goes against some of the spirit of of what it means to live our lives in relationship with a God that's still speaking. And we'll go here someday, but not necessarily today. The Bible itself, in it, we see development, even within our own scriptures. Oh, well, absolutely. Yeah. Um, there's an evolution within scripture itself. Yeah. And I don't think that's something for us to be afraid of. I think that's something for us to really, I don't know, um, well, we find a home there because as the Bible evolves and changes, we evolve and change too. Um, That's how, again, I keep using the word relationship, but that's how relationships work. So uh, we've got these 25. Uh, We've talked about these soft guard rails. Uh, It reminds me a little bit of the founding documents of the United States. You have your strict constructionists, and then you have your people who see this as a living document. This is uh, similar. Yeah, uh, yeah, definitely. I would say I'm approaching it as a living document, and I'm approaching it through uh, the way we as Wesleyans have always approached our theology We have four places we go when we're discerning God's voice for our lives. We go to scripture. um, We look at tradition, and this is a form of tradition. But also, one of the wonderful things about the Methodist tradition is that we invite people to listen to their own reason and experience. One of the wonderful things about the Methodist tradition, quite honestly, is we don't have to leave our brains at the door. In fact, we're encouraged to use them. And so, well... In my best of my ability, that's what I'm trying to do. Mm -hmm. 
Okay, think about uh, a member at our church or a member of any church, and they see that you're going to do 25 weeks on the 25 articles of religion. That might be kind of a turnoff in the beginning. Tell us why, because you're really, really good at making the application. So tell us why this is going to be important to the people who are going to be hearing this. Well, I... I guess selfishly, one of the reasons why this thing, this particular series is important to me is because um, as a father, I'm trying to pass my faith on to my kids. And I'm trying to present it in a way that they can understand and connect with. And I learned the importance of this through my own relationship with my, my family, my dad, and my grandparents. In the last few years, I've lost my grandparents, and um, the church knows my dad's sick, too. And uh, one of the things I've come to realize as I've gone through loss is, well, you don't know how much time you do have, and you better say what's important to you now. And so these subjects are what's important to me. And I want to present it in a way that uh, my girls, quite honestly, could understand uh, what was in their dad's heart. Yeah, so by the end of these 25 weeks, and it'll take longer than 25 weeks because I'm going to preach once a month, but at the end of this, um, you'll have a document that will last beyond the delivery of the sermon. Yeah, um, my my big dream is maybe it could even become a devotional that we could share with the church. Mm-hmm. Okay, let's jump into it. Um, last Sunday... You have already gotten started on this. Last Sunday, you preached on this first article of religion, and I'm just going to read it. Uh, Article number one, of faith in the Holy Trinity, there is but one living and true God, everlasting, without body or parts, of infinite power, wisdom, and goodness, the maker and preserver of all things, both visible and invisible, And in unity of this Godhead, there are three persons of one substance, power and eternity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Trinity summarized in one paragraph. (laughs) Right. That's such a light paragraph, too. (laughs) Um, So, admittedly, there's a lot in that paragraph, but on Sunday when I talked about that particular text, uh, what I really tried to do was articulate the importance of having what I call an incarnational worldview. And uh, by that, what I mean is that the Trinity speaks to something even before Jesus was born 2,000 years ago. It, it speaks to really the God that we as Christians believed created this universe and is even manifesting throughout the world around us. Um, everything we see around us is an outpouring of the love of God. And the Trinity kind of, in many ways, finds a home there in the sense that this world is is a, a manifestation of the belovedness of, of God's presence. And so once we see that, once we understand that, that fundamentally shifts our relationship with ourselves and, and one another. And so when we say in our Sunday service, I see Christ in you, really what we're trying to do is affirm that divine essence that the Trinity points to, that that divine more that makes us possible. And so I called that first topic as I talked about the Trinity. My first topic, I called it Christ, because what's important to me 
is that people know that there's a spark of God's presence within each and every person we see. Yeah. Celtic Christianity, as I understand it, they say that we are people of two books, the Bible and creation. Right, yeah. I mean, I've heard it said where they um, there's some, some within Christian tradition that describe creation as God's first Bible. And that makes sense. 14 billion years ago, God started speaking and it and creation came forth. And then more or less like 2,000 years ago or a few thousand years ago, the documents we have in our Holy Scripture were being written. So just kind of think about that in terms of the amount of time. Certainly God has been speaking a lot longer than before the Bible was actually written. And speaks today through creation, through me and through you and through everyone we come into contact with. Sure. God's always got something to say. If our eyes are open, our ears are open to that possibility as we see the world around us. I take notes on your sermons. Uh, You're not the first person I've taken notes on. I've just been all my life uh, someone who has just taken a lot of notes as I listen to sermons. In fact, I've preached sermons on the notes that are in my Bible from other preachers. And uh, I underlined a few things that you said. And one of them in this sermon last Sunday was that we, we are affirming the divine essence in each other. The divine essence in each other. Yes. um, Another way that the divine essence is described within Christian theology is like, it's like our true self. And underneath all those things that we believe makes us us is uh, a spark of God's presence that is really the source of our life and the source of what enables us to exist. And so that's the beauty of an incarnational worldview. And again, that's the beauty of seeing Christ in one another is we get to, to cut through all those culturally, culturally conditioned labels and even cut through some of the baggage that we carry around with us. And we are reminded who we truly are at our core is we're a manifestation of a loving God. Yeah. You brought it up, but let's uh, dig a little bit deeper into it. Uh, it's been the practice here at Methodist Temple for some time now uh, to say, I see Christ in you and the congregational response and and also in you. Where did it come from? How well has it been received? Well, it it came randomly on a Sunday morning rather than passing the peace of Christ and or turn to one another and say, hi, hello, how are you doing? Um, I just walked out um, on the chancel one Sunday morning and I said, turn to your neighbor and say, I see Christ in you. And that first morning, it, it was apparent that we weren't used to saying that kind of stuff to one another. I mean, some people giggled, and quite honestly, some people have refused to say it. And even over the last couple of years, as we've continued it, people have even questioned if it is always appropriate to say, especially to people who don't consider themselves Christian. And so I think what's important to understand as we say, I see Christ in you, is that um we are trying to point to that that divine presence that lives in any person, despite their religious background, while at the same time not losing our own tradition. And I think sometimes that can happen. We lose our own tradition and our own language in, in hopes of um, not making anyone uncomfortable. But that's really not what this is about. It's about our way as Christians to affirm the sacred value of each and every person we meet and in doing so, it challenges the way we treat other people. And it's not like it's a, a new thing. Um, it is biblical. I turn to the 14th chapter of John and the words of Jesus himself when he spoke of 
I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. We even are caught up in the Trinity. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we're all part of God's masterpiece here. Um, another one of my favorite texts, when you bring up the Gospel of John, when we're talking about I see Christ in you, um, John 1, nine, I think it is, says that Christ is the light which enlightens every single person. Like, of course, this is a universal thing that we're trying to speak to. And quite honestly, we're, we're talking about something that is beyond words. And we're really pointing to something that's beyond really human capacity to completely comprehend. But I'm glad God is beyond my comprehension. I mean, if, if God is not beyond my comprehension, then God is not who I think God is. Well, uh, Andy, while we have the Bible open, um, I want to go to Matthew because it, it was your text originally, a uh, text from the sixth chapter of Matthew, and then, and then you dropped it. Uh, but as as I've said, it's my practice to look at your text, to study it, and then to try to understand. Okay, what's what's uh, Andy going to say about this text? And I couldn't figure it out this time. This text from Matthew chapter six, and this first article. What, what's going on here? And the text says this. At least this is the start of it. Jesus says, "The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body." will be full of life. So this whole thing is about how we see. Mm -hmm. And when we say, I see Christ in you, that doesn't necessarily mean I can tangibly see Christ in you, but it is an attitude, it is an awareness, it is a way of seeing. I choose to Mm -hmm. see the Christ in you other than to see what's not Christ in you. Am I close to the way you've thought about this? Well, absolutely. Um, You're affirming what you trust is already best about that person while understanding, of course, we all have our shortcomings. Um, The beauty of that particular verse, and that's not one we hear a lot, is that it almost has like a Zen-like quality to it. That comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, as you said. But essentially what it kind of points to is that we become what we're willing to see. And that's so true. We become the judgment we give. We reap what we sow. And so the best thing I can think of to like send out into the world, the best lens that I can think of to see other people through is the Christ lens. Very good. All right. Um, that's Article 1. Let's preview briefly Article 2. Here it is, number two. Of the Word, or Son of God, who was made very man. The Son, who is the Word of the Father, the very and eternal God, of one substance with the Father, took man's nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin, so that two whole and perfect natures, that is to say, the Godhead and the manhood, were joined together in one person, never to be divided, Whereof is one Christ, very God and very man, who truly suffered, was crucified, dead, and buried to reconcile his Father to us, and to be a sacrifice not only for original guilt, but also for actual sins of men. (laughs) Well, there's enough for a revival in that particular article. Um, That's its own 25 points. Right, it's its own 25 (laughs) articles of religion, but... uh, the 
the way I'm going to talk about that particular article this upcoming week is that I'm going to talk about the classical Christian understanding of Jesus and who he is. And, and of course, classically, we have, we as Christians, we have said that Jesus is both fully God and fully human at the same time. And that's something that's hard to wrap our heads around, just like the Trinity is hard to wrap our minds around. But I, I hope to show how what Jesus really does is that he is the embodiment of how God works in our world today. Um, to say it one way, if Christ is the lens that we use to point to that divine essence, that divine out reality that's working in the world today, Jesus is really like the pattern of how God is working in our lives and world today. The two really go together for us as Christians in the end. Okay, that's enough to whet our appetite to uh, anticipate that sermon coming up this Sunday. So in about the last minute that we have, let's, I know you, you developed a practice of being sensitive uh, to what Christ is doing in your life and in the lives of those around you. Yes, I find the more I'm open to uh, Christ working and I'm seeking to see Christ, uh, certainly I see more of what Christ is doing in my life and the world around me. And I think a moment I felt uh, Christ or I had a Christ moment this week has been we've been getting up with our new dog. <laughs> we have a new puppy in our house. And, of course, he's a menace in so many ways. And uh, as puppies do, they chew and they run around and they're full of life. And one of my jobs has been to let him out around 4.30 in the mornings. And one of the things that's happened as I've done that, though, is I let the little dog out. His name is Chip. I let little Chip out, standing in my yard. It's quiet. And it's amazing the amount of birds mm -hmm. that is in my neighborhood, and quite honestly, that I never hear. And I'm just reminded of, in that moment, I've been reminded repeatedly this week of how important it is to, to slow down and, and to listen to the beauty all around and Jesus himself would say, listen to the birds, look at the lilies. Can you not see, can you not experience the life of God's presence through these? Okay, that's yours. Here's mine. Um, yours is full of joy, and, and mine is too, ultimately it is. And I can't go into a whole lot of detail, but um, I'm dealing with the loss of a colleague, the, the sudden loss of a colleague, and I've been involved in the in the funeral and in, and in the celebration of life and in helping people through this grief and this suffering. And what hits home to me, where I see Christ in that, is that a lot of times it is when we are hurting and we are grieving and we're suffering where the love comes through. So Christ comes through in, in acts of love. We put down those things that we do kind of as a matter of habit to really get down to what's important to love each other. And this, the spouse, uh, I talked to just this morning, and she said, oh, you wouldn't believe the outpouring of love that, that I'm experiencing. And it doesn't always have to be through suffering or grief but it sure works like that a lot of times. Um, and it teaches us, I guess, it teaches us that even in times where we're not suffering, that if we have the eyes and if we have the ears, we can see and, and we can hear uh, the presence of Christ. Sure. Um, it's the midst of great suffering. It seems like we find ourselves being held by a presence more than our own. And uh, I think of what my dad said 
Again and again throughout the years, he noted brokenness creates openness to God. And certainly that's been true for me. As life hurts, I, I open myself and I see a bigger reality then. That's a good place to end right there, Andy. So thanks a lot. And thank you all for listening and have a great week. And we'll talk to you again next week. This has been the Pastor Podcast with Randy and Andy. You are welcome to join us at Methodist Temple in person or online. Methodist Temple is at 2109 Lincoln Avenue in Evansville, Indiana. Our traditional Sunday morning worship service is at 830 with our contemporary service at 11. Log on to our website at methodisttemple.church. We see Christ in you.